0: I came in like a wrecking Want to hear
1: the most annoying sound in the world? Welcome to Rage Against the Mainstream, your full-spectrum source for all things music, insight, and opinion. My name is Bill, and I'm joined here today
0: with Steve. What's up, Bill? Not a thing. I'm just wondering where Connor's at. He probably, um, well, I actually did send him a recommendation for that church retreat I was on. Oh, did you? He was highly interested in it. I think he decided to take a gander as how, such. How did it go? How was it? Um, They tried. Yeah. Um, they tried. Uh, the holy water hit my skin. I started to singe a little bit, like flash started to bubble and they were like sir we think you should leave. Ain't that some And I was shit. like I'm here to conform though. And they're like we can't accept your kind. And I was like wow, well, okay. <laughs> all right.
1: But all in all, how was the trip? Was it okay?
0: It's good sightseeing. Okay. Yeah, there was some good food out there. You know, I took advantage of the opportunity. Um
1: We we definitely missed you here for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, I mean, we had Will took your yeah. place.
0: That's good. Yeah, Will's a good guy. Um I'm probably going to recommend him to that church retreat as well. Um it's a good experience to say yeah. the least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's awesome. Well, while you were gone, you sent me a text message to check out a band, mm-hmm. um, Green Lung. Excellent. Their album, Woodland Rights. Yep. And the song was Let the Devil In. And yep. I can tell you right now, I am going to put all their music on my Spotify.
0: It, it's funny because that album coming out in 2019, and that's what I was discussing with you. There's so much music out there. Um, I call these Rebecca-mendations, yeah. a little play on words with my fiance Rebecca, because she finds stuff on Reddit, oh, okay. uh, a lot of bands that aren't really typically discussed, because obviously pop culture doesn't, you know, you don't hear the shit on the radio anymore. I mean, ninety three three has become a joke recently. Yep. Um, but yeah, dude, this, I mean, you like Sabbath, you like acid, stoner metal, you like doom metal, you like, you know, the grungy vibe, yeah. or like, you know, the more metal. Dude, Alice I'm about changing. it. It was right up yeah, my alley.
1: Man. It really was. Yeah. And you could find out about these bands here on this podcast. Yep. So I know you have something you've been
0: uh, dying to talk about. So as I've been gone, um, it was difficult to try to get... um, We weren't allowed to have our phones at this church Oh, shit. The moment I got out, I found out on August 7th that Tool decided for the first time in just over 13 years to drop the first track of the new album, Fear Inoculum. Mm -hmm. Track alone was also the title track of Fear Inoculum. Album comes out August 30th. Now, the song, it's funny... Before I listened to the song, I saw reviews. People's first reaction was, um, wow, it's not heavy. Where are the buildups? Oh, my God. Maynard doesn't even scream. First of all, ladies and gentlemen.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, let, let's talk about this. Let's yeah. hear what your opinion is So on. here,
0: I've broken it down like this. I know people that just outwardly don't like Tool. Yeah, Fair enough. Um, I know people that say they like Tool, but they like Tool for sober, the mm. pot, vicarious, exactly, Stink Fist, the the brutal, like the metal the metal songs. Yep. But then you have the album listeners that actually can, you know, digest ticks and leeches off of Ladder House. They can digest Wings of Marie Part One and Two off of Ten Thousand Days. They can th- really enjoy these songs. Now this song. It's just over 10 minutes, and people are like, you know, the monotone structure, the 4-4 signature of Danny Carey. They don't really switch to that 5-4 signature that he's typically used to. And the song itself, the reason why I like Tool is because, first of all, Tool's been playing us for years. Oh, yeah. Dick teasing us about this album. Mm -hmm. And for me, Tool is the type that's not going to release a trailer for a movie with all the best scenes in the trailer. Yeah, And all this song did was Dick tease me even more to be like, I wonder what the fuck else is on there. Because if anybody's a big fan of Tool, for instance, on Lateralis, they have the song Parable that goes into Parabola. And Parable is a three and a half minute song of just weird ambience. And if they had released that as the first song off of Lateralis, people would have been like, fuck this shit. Yeah, exactly. And I I don't know. I just feel like
1: there's such creative individuals, including Maynard, yeah, to where they're not going to give away all of their best shit. Absolutely the very beginning. Not. I'm not saying the song is bad by any means. Mm. I'm I'm like a, a very little Tool fan. I do enjoy their music, but this song was cool. It doesn't matter who you are. Yeah, like the song is cool. People are just hating on it to hate on it. Well, for literally Well, it's also too no the
0: 13 years of hype. I mean, everybody was expecting yeah them to drop this holy shit banger, but. And that's another thing. You figure. Why are you going to blow your load at one time? Exactly. Now, I'll put it this way. If the other nine or so songs that are on the album sound like this, I'll be fucking furious because Tool is like Pink Floyd. They're an album band. You know, you have the Pink Floyd fans. I like money. I like Wish You Were Here. I like Another Brick in the Wall, but then they can't stand like The Great Gig in the Sky and Us and Them. And like like Dark Side of the Moon, it's an album. Animals is an album. Obscured by Clouds is an album. Mm -hmm. Every Tool album. After Opiate and Undertow, they started to make these weird longer drawn out soundtracks to the point of leading on to like 46 and two and you know exactly and that's what they're known for now exactly and it's almost like well
1: we talk about this we talk about this all the time like bands when they release new music they the crowd or the fans want what they did the last album yeah and it's like well how do you expect them to grow but Tool is one of those bands, dude, to where they're so out, out there, and doing all kinds of different shit all the time, to where whenever they release something, it's it's still Tool.
0: Put it this way, man: you know? they don't have their stuff on streaming networks for the entire time streaming networks has been around. The yeah. Medi- the moment that they drop that, all their albums crack the top eight spots. Yeah. Within a few days i saw that was nuts unbelievable and that's that's just to say that that shows the like how great this fan base is and i can get it when you're critical of like you expected so much and you didn't live up to that expectation all that should do is make you understand the song itself it's decent but i guarantee you it's not the best track off that album definitely not and again i mean it is tool so you figured undertow comes out in 1990 Hmm. all right think about the Red Hot Chili Peppers since Blood Sugar Sex Magic and where they're at today. Yeah. Come on. I mean, what are you expecting from 2019 Tool compared to Undertow, Opiate, Enema? I mean, they're going to grow. Yeah, 10,000 10, Days showed that. That was a huge difference compared to their earlier work. So mm-hmm. this is going in the right direction. I like the track. I don't like fanboy love the track, the bias thrown aside. Again, as I mentioned, if every song off the album sounded like this, yeah, I'll be fucking yeah. disappointed. And but you have every right to be. Exactly. But then again, this is like a movie where they showed you a trailer, and I still don't know what it's about. But I want to fucking see it. Yeah, absolutely. That's I'm the best way I'm, I can put it.
1: I'm excited to see what the rest of this album has to offer.
0: Yep. Definitely. Yeah, I plan on getting the $77 issue signed by Alex Gray on pre-order. <laughs> um, Alex Gray, if you're listening, by the way. Um, you know, get in contact with us at our uh, email
1: r a t m podcast at gmail dot com. Yeah,
0: I would appreciate it if uh, you could mail a copy or send a, a pre order, you know, waiver for this copy. I will definitely give uh, a solid review of this album. <laughs> I'm not very credible, but I'm spoken well enough. Alex Gray, again, I would appreciate that. Credible enough. <laughs> credible enough.
1: <laughs> All right. Before we get into music history here, we want to send out the the bat signal, if you will, to underground unknown bands that may or may not be listening to this podcast, would you like to be featured on this, on one of our episodes, whether it be an interview, discussion, or even getting a clip of your music out there? We are open for submissions. Um, if you like, you can reach us at podcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at RATM Podcast, or you know whatever website slash RATM Podcast. We're all over the place. We will find your submission, and who knows, you know this might be your chance to get your music out there, listen to people all over the world.
0: And no matter what you've heard, all genres are accepted. All genres.
1: Also, I want to take this time to thank all of the listeners we have. Because since the very start of this podcast, we have we've had listeners strictly in the tri-state area because we're from New Jersey and obviously we have you know friends and friends of friends that are within our areas. And now the podcast has reached places like Switzerland and Germany and Ireland and France, Mexico, even Canada. Uh, I want to take this time to thank all of you, each and every one of you, you know, Thanks for growing this podcast. We really appreciate it. And as long as you guys keep listening, we'll keep making new ones. You got anything to add, Stephen?
0: I would also like to shout out and appreciate all of our listeners out there.
1: And Connor would too, but he's... Where is he again? The Church Street. Okay. Yeah. On this
0: day, in music history. On this day, in music history, the 12th of August. 1966, the Beatles begin the U.S. leg of their last tour, playing a date at the International Amphitheater in Chicago, Illinois. That's
1: crazy. It, it, it's almost yeah. it's nuts to think think that 1966 was their last last
0: tour. U.S. leg of a tour, like 1966. And you just to that, think
1: of what they had to do after that. Yeah,
0: think about how many bands came out after '66 that are like staples today, and the Beatles at this point are literally wrapping up their stardom. On yeah, the, on exactly. Touring.
1: But that's the thing, though, is that you know, like the Beatles were done, but all the individual members they went on to do well, other yeah, things to do their too. Other I things, mean, things, yeah, I mean, good as the Beatles or worse, yeah, you know, that's up to that's up to your. Discretion. How many
0: bands they influenced though that never had the opportunity to tour with the Beatles? Yeah, that's true too. That's what's crazy.
1: It's just wild, fucking Yoko.
0: One year later, nineteen sixty-seven, Fleetwood Mac. Uh, makes her stage debut at the National Jazz and Blues Festival in Windsor, England, alongside such acts as Donovan, Cream, Small Faces, and Chicken Shack, featuring a young Christine uh, Perfect, later known, obviously, as Christine McVie after she married John, the bassist. Um, that's see that isn't
1: Chicken Shack a restaurant? Or I'm no, talking. that's Shake Shack.
0: Shake Shack. Chicken Shack. I mean, <laughs> it's a generic name I use for all <laughs> those. Like mom, pop, like bodega chicken stuff. Like, I'm
1: going chicken shack. Like right. what was going through your fucking head when you named your band Chicken Shack?
0: We figured 1967, I'm, I'm thinking these guys were just, you know, they made some good records and they just still couldn't settle a name. Guy was eating like a bucket of Kentucky Fried and he was like, <laughs> <laughs> was chicken shack, Woo. chicken shack. I
1: got a good name for our band, man Chicken Shack And
0: they were like, bro, that's that's deep, dude That's deep um, <laughs> that's It's awesome. funny, 67, Cream I mean, that's cool that Fleetwood Mac got to play with Cream Oh, yeah In 67, because Cream, I mean, obviously Is one of the uh, most legendary bands of that like rock scene um, I didn't. It's funny reading this I didn't know her maiden name No, I didn't, I didn't know perfect. it either She's huh. pretty perfect to me She's great Well, it's I don't want to put it out there. I don't want anybody using it, but we have a wedding song in mind that Christine McVie is featured on as her song. Nice. Fleetwood with Max song. We most will probably guess it at this point, but I'm not going to disclose because my fiance's is worried that someone's going to steal it in our family and we want to <laughs> avoid that. All right, so uh, three years later, 1970, uh, at Harvard, Janis Joplin performs what will be her final concert, uh, ending with a version of Gershwin's Summertime.
1: I wonder, well... Obviously, death is inevitable, and yeah. you know, you know. Again, all dark death is inevitable. Death, but is inevitable. um, sounds like a deathcore band. Death is inevitable. Yeah, <laughs> inevitable death. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it. I wonder if there was any kind of like inkling in her head that this would be her final. Concert. I don't think so. You don't think so? No,
0: I mean, because obviously the circumstance of her death. I mean, more so accidental than anything. Yeah. I mean, it's almost the same thing with Amy Winehouse. I don't think she thought the end was going to come like that, to think that that was her final show that she backs exactly. out on. But I think she knew her career was coming to a halt. I just don't mm-hmm. think that she actually physically thought this was going to be it.
1: It's just so crazy. And, you know, I mean, obviously we've never died, but like, I yeah. wonder if, like, if there is something after this mm-hmm. where you think like, like, in retrospect. Like,
0: you have an opportunity to think, like,
1: damn, that was my last tour?
0: Exactly. Huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like,
1: just, like you think about it, like, shit. It's, I probably should have played something else.
0: It's funny you mentioned that. I don't want to bring this up also on the morbid topic of inevitable death, but I had a friend that died of a drug overdose uh, several months ago, and I kind of saw it coming. It's ironic. Like, I mean, you just kind of see these things coming. And I used to think, because he was also a morbid type person, I was like, I wish he could come back as a force ghost so I could be <laughs> like... I fucking told you so, man. And he'd be like, damn, you know what, bro, you're right. You know, like he's just sitting there on a log, like Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. Like as a force ghost, as a hologram or whatever. And I'm like, dude, I told you so. Like that's why I wish Dan's Joplin, she would show back up at Harvard and be like, damn, this was it? Really?
2: That'd be pretty funny.
0: Yeah. So seven years later, nineteen seventy seven, three of Elvis Presley's former bodyguards, members of the Memphis Mafia, uh, released a book, Elvis. What happened, which details his drug use for the first time. Four days later, ironically enough, Presley dies. Didn't he
1: I'm pretty sure if my memory serves me correct, he died while on the shitter, correct?
0: Yeah, and uh like he was
1: pushing and straining and exactly, shit. Exactly. That's exactly heart what happened, yes. Uh, only I could be that lucky to go out that way too. Like it's that pretty, must have been some fucking turd. It's pretty badass. Like Could you imagine like straining that hard to give yourself a fucking heart attack?
0: Yeah, if you ever seen The Sopranos, that happens to somebody in The Sopranos and they make fun of them for that. Just like
1: Elvis. (laughs) (laughs) Legendary, dude. The the former bodyguards, the Memphis Mafia, dude, they were badass dudes. They were just like big ass country boys. And. Um, I heard it on the Henry Rollins podcast when um he was talking about interviewing uh Jerry Lee Lewis. Mm-hmm. Um those bodyguards or at least one of them now works for Jerry Lee Lewis or at least at the time. And um it's just really crazy to think that like in Memphis, dude, like Elvis was the king and he had oh, yeah. and he had like his own crew.
0: Like he could do no wrong. It's funny Memphis kind of being like one of those like kind of Southern style like church going towns. Mm. Elvis was bigger than God down there. Oh my God! I mean, seriously, huge. It's just funny that they released this book and four days later he dies. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. Like it's just a little. Well, you
1: weren't here for the um the Kurt and Courtney review. Oh yeah, and you watched that
0: movie, correct? Yes.
1: It it also kind of reminds you of like the El Duce scene. Where like he basically tells the director, like Courtney Love pay or was trying to pay him to kill Kurt and he dies literally three days later and hit by a train.
0: Little weird. Yeah. Yeah. eh. A little weird.
1: Actually, I wanted to tell you, too, um, that movie was the lowest-reviewed movie on the podcast. Even uh, based lower, on everybody here? Yeah, even lower than Some Kind of Monster. Was Will on that for that one? Yes. Will couldn't even finish it. He gave the movie a two. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think I gave it a one and a half. I think Connor gave it a one just because of the name.
0: It's bad. <laughs> it's very bad. And it's funny because huge, huge Nirvana Kurt Cobain fan. I even like Hole and Courtney Love, but that movie was really hard to digest.
1: Yeah, it it was fucked up. But anyways, if you wanted to hear the review of what we gave, you know, check out last week's episode.
0: Yes. All right. So uh, 1985, also on this day, August 12th, Neil Young releases Old Ways, his 14th studio album and uh, ironically one of his lowest selling and least appreciated albums of his entire career. Did Did you hear something? What the fuck was that noise? That
1: was weird. I wonder if Connor likes that one. Connor. He's, he's a giant Neil Young guy.
0: Yeah, Connor's probably going through withdrawal because, like I said, you can't have any type of streaming devices up there, so he's not able to listen. But here's the thing about Connor, though. He's like an indie hipster fan. So if he was on here, he'd be like, well, I don't know what they're talking about. My favorite <laughs> album of all time. We'll have to look ask look. him
1: what, next week when he comes back. No, this is
0: what we're going to do. We're going to text him. And just be like, hey, man, whenever you get out of this retreat and you get this phone back, how do you feel about Neil Young's Old Ways album? We're not even going to set him up to say that you know it's his love. I just want to hear what he says. Yeah. It's going to be like, uh, you know, how, uh, what the fuck? Lou Reed's uh, album Berlin is hailed as one of the worst albums of <laughs> all the time. But you get those <laughs> weird people that come out of the woodwork. That be yeah.
1: Like, great album. Or like, um, it's almost like that Kiss album, The Elder. Yeah. Like, it was like literally their worst album they ever put out. But you have some fucking kiss nuts they are like, what are you talking about? You just don't understand
0: it. <laughs> you need to understand this album. It, it's more than the music, man. Do you know how many people, because I like Danzig, and I'm like, you know what? I like Danzig one through three. You know, obviously. I like two the most. Yeah. Lucifuge is awesome. Oh, how hell the God's yeah. God's Kill is pretty good. Even Four is a little weird. But then some people are like, yo, did you ever hear like these albums? They're like his like demonic poetry ambient albums. I'm like, dude, I like Danzig. But this is garbage. Like, I'm not <laughs> going out of my way. And it's funny because going back to tool, people are saying, you're forcing yourself to like this. Like, no, dude, I have no bones about being able to come out to say something sucks regardless of who the exactly. artist is. Exactly. It
1: doesn't matter.
0: Like, I, again, Danzig's Danzig. I love Danzig. I love the Misfits. But some people, like, his fucking spoken word, just weird ambient, like, <laughs> recorded it with a rock band mic on his laptop type shit. It's, it's fucking garbage, dude. I wonder if uh, we shouldn't try to cover that. Wow. cover that album. It's gonna be like fucking like Chinese waterboarding or fingernail <laughs> torture or whatever they do over there.
1: Glenn, this is no disrespect to you by the way, if you still want to send some free tickets our way to go see you guys in Madison yeah, I'm put it this That'd way. that would be greatly
0: appreciated. Absolutely. As long I'm as you tell you right now, I mean I have a shit. Misfits tattoo, I have a Danzig tattoo. I'm a huge fucking fan, but dude, I mean we all got to admit at some point when we're wrong. <laughs> Humility goes a long way. That's all I'm going to say. No no disrespect to those first three albums. I'm going to say that right now. Oh,
1: yeah. They're bad as shit. All right.
0: So here we go. Six years later, and let's mention the band of all time here on RATM. 1991, Metallica released their fifth album, which, of course, is self-titled but commonly known as the Black Album, Um, It goes right to number one in eight countries, uh, including America, where it sells 16 million copies.
1: Now, I know your opinion on this album. You know my opinion. Of course. But there is definitely a middle ground to where we can say this album is good.
0: So like I said... When we talked about it prior, and Justice for All for me just is quintessential Metallica. Yeah. However, the Black Album, I'll never deny it because I can still digest and enjoy the Black Album, but for me, it's just not my brand of Metallica. Exactly. But I'll never deny that this is a great, amazing selling album. 1991, you figure the grunge scene is already like really starting to take a hold. Yeah. Especially after the Christmas season when Nevermind blows up. Um, and this album stood the test of time. bottom line
1: i mean i'm i know this album is on many lists of like albums you need to hear before you die on many metal album lists i mean the black album dude took metallica from that underground world that it was in Mm. and shoved them directly into the faces of everyone around the world
0: and as a business standpoint dude i mean metallica couldn't stay kill them all type metallica forever we understand this and um you know as a business standpoint That's why I said, like, Injustice for All for me is the most, it's their last really soothing album in my mind of what Metallica is. But the Black Album, I'll never deny that it's a great selling album. It's a great album. Yep. Not my brand of Metallica, but you can't deny what it did. Yeah, exactly. It was just huge. Definitely. So three years later, 1994, now Woodstock 2, officially Woodstock 94, begins in Tees, New York. Uh features Sheryl Crow, Todd Rudgren, and uh, Violet Femmes performing. The festival is a success, uh, drawing a crowd of about 350,000 people.
1: That potentially might have to do with the headliner that year in 1994. You know who that was, right?
0: You can say it, Bill. Metallica. Post-Black Album. <laughs> Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, because even Metallica played in 99 as well. Yeah. So. But
1: it's funny, too, because you think of it like 1991 Black Album, 1994, Mm -hmm. Load hasn't been released yet, right? Yeah, Load wasn't out yet. That didn't come out until what, like 96? 96, yeah. Yeah, so it's funny because you still have the aggression of the Black Album, and then when they headline 99... Like Load and Reload had already been out, and St. Anger didn't come out, what, until 01? Yeah. Yeah, so the last two good Woodstocks, they um, featured, I mean, pre-St. Anger Metallica. Yeah. I mean, it could have had something to do with the Well, the cool thing
0: is with 94, you figure how most bands are. like. You know, you see a band like Slayer, for instance, when they were released Repentless, I mean, the first couple tours of that year, they're going to be playing a lot of those songs and they'll fit in a couple of, uh, like, Angel of Death Right, So, Metallica, you figure, 91 comes out, you know, they're playing, I remember, what was it? The the one in Russia in Moscow. Moscow, Yeah, yeah, great show, but that was mostly black album songs to promote the album. So, you figure by 94, now those songs are out there, they can go out and play whatever their catalog is. They're not limited to try to, you know, pitch this album anymore. Now,
1: see, what my deal is, my favorite live Metallica concert that I listen to regularly.
0: Seattle eighty nine. Seattle eighty nine.
1: But the reason being is because after the black album recording, James's voice was never the same. Yeah. And I would have loved to have had Seattle eighty nine Metallica playing black album songs live. Like or being able to put the black album material into that eighty nine tour. So you have the best of both worlds, and you have so you're, everything. You so know you're what I saying Like
0: eighty nine, essentially, would be if the Black Album had came out several years before, so they were able to blend some of their songs exactly. into that entire line. Because
1: you have to think, by this time in ninety four, James definitely is not singing or yelling or anything like he used to. Yeah. And you know, at this point in time in ninety four, the Black Album's already out. They're already playing all the old music too, and they're reintroducing this music into their set list again. Yeah. And I think at this point in time, they started to do like the hour and a half, two hour sets just because they had so much material. And I don't know. I wished I wish that I was able to see Metallica in the 80s.
0: Yeah, that's actually the Seattle 89 show. That is one of the shows probably debatably my Favorite show live performance of any band of all time. Like if I could go back in time, that yeah, would be debatably yeah. one of the shows. That, I, would, I mean, there's my some number Pantera one. shows, there's some Nirvana shows. I would have loved to have seen Doors, mm-hmm. but that show, their track listing, the songs, the way they were performed. Perfect. I mean, you got some of the best versions of some, like the Four Horsemen version on there. Yeah, fucking like the seek and destroy. All <laughs> from the whom the bell tolls. Oh is my perfect, god, the way dude. it opens with blackened.
1: Oh my god. Well, you have to think too, because those songs on Justice for All were just so fucking crazy. <laughs> dude, to the, the, the way
0: they do. To yeah. like is to die leading into Master of Puppets. Like yup. This is right after Cliff died, so this is still yeah. fresh because Angelus Roll for All has just released. When did it- Cliff die? 86? Yeah, Cliff died 86. So
1: you have 86 to 89. So it's three years. It's still virtually new. Yeah. Music News. Today in Music News, if you didn't catch it the first time, August 12th, 2019. We're going to open this one. Just get it out of the way now. All the Metallica talk will be done after this. Oh, I won't, cause we you know, probably uh, gotta yeah. bring them up later. Yeah, they're they're probably yeah, whatever. whatever, whatever. It just shows the credibility of the band. You know, yeah. it is it is a joke, sort of, but not really. Um, Live Nation admits to scalping tickets for bands like Metallica. Um, Live Nation has fessed up to the shady practice of putting tickets directly on resale sites before the public even has a chance to buy them at face value. The touring company's admission comes on the heels of a billboard report detailing a secretly recorded phone call between a Live Nation honcho and an event promoter from Metallica in February 2017, days before the band announced this worldwide North American stadium tour. Which, I heard, was one of the biggest Metallica tours ever. Yeah. During the call, the two parties agreed to put 88,000 tickets directly on secondary market sites like StubHub, so people never got a chance to buy them on sites like Ticketmaster, which is actually owned by Live Nation. The company admitted to facilitating the scalping practice for about a dozen artists out of the thousands we work with, but other than Metallica, the bands remain unknown. Of course. Um, Live Nation also says it did... Live Nation says it did it because bands no face value of the concert tickets are often lower than market value. So the tactic allows them to recapture a cut of that money. According to the report, Live Nation used various co- covert methods to place tickets on resale sites immediately, including having employees transfer thousands of tickets into single accounts to be listed and sold on secondary market sites. See, the, this level, is just fucked the up.
0: level of fuckery here is really what is just, this is a metaphor for how fucked the entire music industry is. Yeah,
1: and, is. you know, it's almost fucked up because it's like, these concerts aren't selling out. No. No. Like, they're not. Dude, uh, 88,000 tickets.
0: You figure Iron Maiden had just played Wells Fargo not that long ago. These tickets have been on sale for months, okay? Mm -hmm. Wells Fargo is not a fucking... You know, it, it's not the goddamn Coliseum, you know? No. It's like you can sell that place out fairly easily. But exactly. there are still tickets for sale on resale value through StubHub, which is typically what I use because I never buy presale.
1: Yeah, but it's like now you're realizing that the reason they're able to sell these tickets so fucking high is because
0: they're the only ones with them. Exactly. But here's the thing the fact that they're able to go out and put them on resale sites immediately before people even get to be able to purchase them at market value. Mm-hmm. That just goes to show you because these streaming sites, the lack of C D sales, even merchandise, people just yeah. buying it from a crackhead walking down Broad Street as opposed to from the venue itself. Yeah. This is where bands start to get lacking in their, you know, their wealth from what they're starting to accumulate. Now here you go, you get you know, bands that partner up with these, you know, Live Nation and shit like that. Cause I, I don't use Ticketmaster anymore. Cause again, I don't really typically buy tickets at presale because yeah. A, I'm not fucking wealthy. I gotta wait. Yep. And usually StubHub gives you a good value. But now you're hearing that these places that are supposed to sell them initially at market value price are already just sticking them on resale sites and getting that profit anyway. Yep. Like, what the fuck? Dude, it's just wild.
1: I, I'm not gonna lie. I did scalp some tickets at one point uh, for Poison and. You death allegedly. allegedly yeah, allegedly
0: did it. Allegedly. I've scalped. heard of a
1: guy that did it in Camden.
0: Yeah, his name was uh, Mil B. Slack. Yeah, Mil <laughs> B. Slack, right? Mil B. Slack. Mill yeah. B. Slack, Scalp's Tickets. I heard this, too.
1: Yeah, I heard that. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, it's just fucked up. It, you know, it's kind of funny, too, because it always seems like Lars Ulrich is always in like the fucking middle of these like giant fucking yeah. things, like Napster and now Live Nation and Ticketmaster. Lars Ulrich is the fucking guy. Like, oh... Yeah. See, uh man, they're trying to uh buy our tickets, you know, from secondary sites and you know, we're really not getting all the money we should. So this is what you need to do here, Live Nation.
0: <laughs> I picture him like in a cloak. Yeah. Like smoking a cigarette like in a Count dark Dooku alley or like, something. Yeah, like, listen. You better put these tickets on pre-sale sites. All right. <laughs> I can't afford any more paintings. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> fucking bro you like come on these guys were living in an apartment in new york city releasing kill them all and shit i mean come on like come let's get a level of humility here <sighs> millions of dollars these guys are worth dude and you gotta go to these lengths because you're just what can't Money afford that boat anymore like
1: hungry jesus yeah. christ dude but it's funny because it's always lars you know it's it's, yeah. it's it's almost like they like just push him into it like lars
0: you know you should really tackle this yeah like they're all upset but they know <laughs> lars has kind of got that voice you know James just
1: like uh hey uh they're uh you know lars i heard a uh, live nation there's a lot is scalping of injustice. injustice going on here there's a lot right? of injustice going on you should on do and,
0: something uh, about this lars kirk's <laughs> over there just like writing a lead that probably won't even be featured on the album anyway <laughs> got bob rock making calls too hey lars you should probably do something about this by the way can i get back in that band <laughs> Hey, remember that time I played bass for you guys? How's Rob doing? Is he okay? I heard he has a drug (laughs) problem. Can I get in there? Just in case you need help,
1: I'm always here. Oh, man. (laughs) Ridiculous. Uh, The next thing we got here in Music News is, this is taking it back to one of our first couple episodes here, Woodstock 50 is officially canceled. Canceled. Saying right here, the Trouble Festival was just over two weeks away from kicking off, but organizers just couldn't recover from the setback after setback that ultimately led to the July 31st announcement that it has officially been called off. Um, Greg Peck, a principal of Woodstock 50, told TMZ, the unfortunate dispute with our financial partner and the resulting legal proceeding set us off course at a critical juncture, throwing a wrench in our plans and forcing us to find an alternative venue to Watkins Glen. The timing meant we had few choices where our artists would be able to perform. We worked hard to find a way to produce a proper tribute, and some great artists came aboard over the last week to support Woodstock 50, but time simply ran short.
0: It's... um. Yeah, I don't want to get too into discussion with it because we are going to bring it up later on. But this does sound fairly familiar to a 2017 incident with a different type of festival. Um, if you are familiar, you can already probably guess what we're talking about. But again, we'll mention this later. because we'll get into be in a, a little topic, bit. Uh, coming through this episode. But it's just at least they had the respect value to say that you're trying to take a brand being Woodstock, which has become a brand at this point, yeah. a selling point exactly it's its own um, entity yeah whether or not it was just they felt it wasn't going to live up to expectation or it was seriously just a fucking mess of a, a situation at least they had the respect to back out now before they committed and put on you know something yeah very and, bad you know like us being fans of music and whatnot
1: we tried to give this festival or concert the benefit of the doubt and it's been coming up and coming up in news and we just haven't been reporting on it because we don't want to be the ones to constantly shit on this fucking festival. But now that it's done and over with, I'm happy to say that I'm 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 relieved.
0: Yeah, cuz I mean it's Woodstock, so the word itself carries a lot of weight, but yeah, at, yeah, every week it's been an article about investors, new venue, new location. This art it's just been a constant battle of bullshit. I'm just glad yeah we can get it over with now. It's it's done. It's over. I mean not to say that it won't be revisited. Well there's but a
1: possibility here. Well, gotta do for it them to do a to centennial. We'll we'll be alive then. That's that's two thousand sixty
0: nine. Who says we'll be alive then?
1: Well, right. I'm saying it because right now it's 2019. We've 50 years. Listen,
0: the way our climate is going, the way the world is going. That's true. I mean, we could have nuclear warfare in the next five to ten years. I mean, the climate itself, like by 2069, we could be fucking in an ice age. I don't know, dude. Well, with everything, you know... On paper, if everything's going going, the way it's been for the past,
1: we'll be... What, seventy
0: seven, seventy eight years old? At that point I don't think I'm gonna be going to Woodstock one hundred. We could. I could probably be wearing a ship bag. <laughs> Have a catheter in my dick.
1: You know, it's funny, me and uh, me and my wife Nicole we were talking about it the other day. Mm. I was like um when we get to the point where we need walkers or canes, are we going to be walker and cane people or jazzy scooter people? Well, by
0: that point, yeah. they'll probably be like
1: Like like if I'm sitting there and I'm like I can't fucking walk anymore without this walker, am I going to continue to use this walker Put or this am way. I going to go right to
0: a scooter? Put it this way, by 2069 if we're still relying upon walkers and scooters and they haven't invented like flying fucking, <laughs> you know, like back to cat. the future part exactly. 2. Exactly. <laughs> if they haven't invented it by then, then something's wrong with the scientists. And- that's uh, true. engineers that are living in our world today, okay? <laughs> Look at what back to the future 2 looked like and that was what 2015. 15.
1: Yeah, we're way behind, dude. Yeah, we yeah, are. If I'm still relying on years. a walker
0: with tennis balls in 2069 to slide across a linoleum floor, there's a fucking problem with our world. And you know, this
1: is no we're not talking bad about these kind of people. We just, you know, we have concerns of our own as young people. Yeah.
0: I don't mind the walker like today if I was on a walker and came, hey, More power to you. I mean, that's just, but I'm just saying for the level of intellect that people carried back in the day to be able to create these inventions and things of that nature, because you figure in the Stone Age, a walker and a cane was just as equivalent as a Tesla today. That's true. So I'm talking about 2069. I have no problem being a walker cane person. However, in that regard, I better be on a flying chair that just hovers over gravity, (laughs) doesn't obey the laws of gravity at all.
1: Oh, man. This is taking it back a little bit too. Little Nas X holds the record for the longest-running number one song in U.S. chart history. If you guys remember back, what what episode was that? Like eight or something? It was a while ago. I don't think when it was this song came that out that
0: far back. Um, well, Doc Coyle was on episode ten. Yeah, but I think we really discussed it. Yeah, it was probably around that time. Yeah. Yeah. You know. The um the
1: Lil Nas X song "Old Town Road" has set the record for the longest time spent atop the Hot 100 Singles chart. The country rap song has now occupied the top spot for 17 weeks, a feat that has not been achieved across the chart's six-decade history. Last week, the song was in a three-way tie for the previous record with "One Sweet Day" by Mariah Carey, Boys to Men, oh Mariah Carey and Boys to Men, and uh. The Despacito remix by Luis Fonsi and Daddy Yankee featuring Justin Bieber. That's kind of crazy. Like that. Well, and this is also something that me and her were talking about. It's kind of fucked up that a song like that. I'm not talking bad about it by any means because I'm the fucking dumb idiot that's sitting there going, nobody tell me nothing. But it's fucked up that a song like that beat out a bunch of other songs for Top single of all fucking time well you know I mean we're lovers of all music and we're fans of all music yeah but
0: why did a song like this top these charts for so long so this is what I'm Curious about. I don't know if you know this and can answer this. Uh, Billboard 100. I don't know what really qualifies them to be in that position anymore. Like before, it was just album sales, yeah, things like that. Maybe uh, now streams. it's like streams—how many times the song's been listened to, um, as well as downloads off of iTunes or Google Play Store, things like that. Yeah. But it's for instance, it's really ironic that this is getting brought up because yesterday uh, my sister sent me a video, and it was my six-year-old nephew watching a YouTube video of this like green blob thing like humming old town road (laughs) and because of this he said hey siri play old town road and then it started playing in the house and my sister's like no turn it off!" but he wanted to listen to it (laughs) so this is what i'm gonna say with this type of song it kind of transcends because you do have adults as well as children alike able to stream this song on a repetitive basis because it's it is what it is it's like taylor swift it's a catchy fucking tune. That's true. To go out there and say it's above talented compared to like acts from the 60s like Zeppelin going through Black Sabbath and the amount of mm-hmm. talent these guys put down on record. This song is doing exactly what music should be doing in this generation, which is creating something that's memorable. Yeah, that's true. He's literally watching well, a YouTube video, green blob humming the song. <laughs> it was like some Gabba Gabba type <laughs> shit. And it's like it's fucking catchy. And for a six year old, that's dude.
1: Here's something that I found out about this song. I was on the Wikipedia page looking it up, and I saw the writers of the song. Yeah. I don't know if I told you this. Do you know who
0: one of the main... You brought this up, uh, the episode we talked about this. I don't think I did. I think he did. Did I? He's like, a, it's. Uh, what's his face from Nine Inch Nails? Yeah. yeah Trent, you brought, Reznor. Trent Reznor. Yeah, you brought Trent that yeah. Trent Reznor
1: is one of the writers on Old yeah, Town. He's got writing Road. credits on it. So technically, I mean, in a way, if you want to think about it, Trent Reznor was number one. Uh, on Billboard Hot 100, I mean, uh, in a sense, uh, I mean, if they stretch. were to go, whose song is this? Stretch. They're gonna put the writers of the song; they of own course, it technically. Yeah, but, so I mean, the
0: performance value alone is what really does it, because nobody's gonna give a f- like. You think that Old Town Road? Do you think people are like, "Wow, who's Nine Inch Nails?" After listening to Old Town Road, no. I mean, well,
1: it is funny though, because after listening to it and yeah. finding out that Trent Reznor was a part of this song, I can hear. Like, the little, like, nuances and stuff that you hear from Nine Inch Nails, yeah. like, in the background of this song. But, I mean, it, it's a great feat, no matter who did it or what song is what. Yeah. I mean, it, it is still pretty cool, and the fact that, you know,
0: music is still
1: king, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah, we could say that. I mean, again, it's... um like i said that it's just a very smart move by his part i mean you see videos of him performing in schools for kids yeah. and things like that so again it's business wise you're in music at the end of the day being an artist is still a business it's how you're making your ends meet it's how you're making your living so i mean do whatever you can Yeah, exactly. I'm never going to hate on somebody if they're releasing garbage if they're filthy, stinking rich because they're doing what almost... If if, if anybody could switch shoes wealth-wise with these people that they talk shit on musically, Mm -hmm. they would do it in a heartbeat. But again, it's not for me, but I respect it, put it that way.
1: Congratulations, Billy Ray Cyrus and Lil Nas X. And yeah, with Billy Reznor. Ray Cyrus being
0: more relevant than his daughter Ever. today. Holy fuck. Yeah, exactly. Could you, you imagine that? After Wrecking Ball, at some point, Billy Ray Cyrus would have jumped back on the map. Eclipse his dude, daughter. Dude, Hannah kid, Montana. Kids, I watched the video. Kids were, like, disgusted when he was performing, and Billy Ray Cyrus didn't come out to perform his part. Kids were, like, stunned. To see a <laughs> six-year-old kid, like, you know distraught because they're not seeing Billy Ray Cyrus. You probably Cyrus. haven't seen
1: that shit since like Tennessee in like 1994.
0: It's funny because... Ma, I, Billy Ray didn't come out. That's what I'm saying. I'm going to go show my six-year-old nephew achy, breaky heart and be like, yo, you like this dude, right? Like, that's that's horrible. Really? You want to get down to brass tacks, boy? Because this is...
1: <laughs> let's talk about this. Alright, let's get into our last thing here in music right. news. Um, I don't really know much about said person in this. But the news itself is interesting. Yeah. Police found jailed the police found the jailed lost profits singer hiding a phone in his anus. I'm not going to continue to say anus. I'm just
0: going to say ass or asshole. So uh you know You could say rectum. Rectum. Yeah, I mean damn let's keep near it professional. Killed him. Yeah. This is a uh <laughs> It's quality article.
1: Earlier this year, it was reported that former Lost Profits singer Ann Watkins was charged with possessing a phone while in prison. The case is now heading to the courts, with more details of the alleged possession being revealed. Watkins, who is currently serving a 35-year prison sentence for uh, assorted child sex crimes, is having the case heard at the Leeds Crown Court during a recent session... A prison official provided testimony that Watkins had produced a small white telephone after being strip searched in March of 2018.
0: I like how they said uh, produced a small white telephone. In essence, he literally shit it like out. pooped that out into a cop's hand. Like a CO is searching him. like, sir, you got something poking out here. I'm gonna have to cough. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine this small white Nokia block just like falling out of his asshole it's into saying, his cop's hand.
1: <laughs> it's saying the phone was uh, eight centimeters long Unreal. and was discovered in the singer's anus, according to the er, ass, rectum, rectum. According to the independent prosecutor, Stephen Wood told the jury he reached in his underwear towards his anus, and after about ten minutes or ten seconds, the defendant produced a small white telephone you will understand that this must have been inserted into his rectum mm. the search also uncovered a phone charger in his cell <clears throat> this must have been like one of them little Nokia phones like, yeah, it
0: had to be like a prepaid, yeah. Little, like, could, well, it says eight centimeters, so you figure a smartphone definitely not working. Yeah, out. could you imagine if you're shoving an iPhone up your ass? Now, here's the thing: obviously, this guy is in a band. He probably has a decent bit of money. I'm sure he wasn't carrying this phone on the street, so this was like pre-planned. He like went exactly. out there, bought a Cricket, you know, went to Walmart, whatever. You know, probably told somebody like, listen, you're going to have to re-up on minutes on this phone every month. (laughs) On his little burner. And then the preparation. I'm picturing like Ryan Dunn, jackass one where he shoved that little toy car up his ass with a condom and had to go to the doctor. So he's lucky as fuck he got this out. But here's the thing. I'm just going to put it out there in an empathetic point of view. I know what it's like to kind of go through the intake system. I'm not going to confirm or deny that I've been in jails, but we'll just say that I have for right now. (laughs) I mean, we're okay. But... For him to be able to do this, this is dedication. Like I know people that smuggle little like finger gloves worth of tobacco, drugs, but these are like bendable, insertable products and rubber eight centimeter, probably plastic. I'm assuming obviously phone. Unless We have to
1: follow up in the story. See if he gets like asshole cancer or something.
0: Something, dude. And Serious. he's definitely had to have, have something inserted up there prior. Not going to judge his lifestyle. That's up to him. But yeah, you don't I mean, go from just pooping your whole life and then being able to insert an eight centimeter phone up your rectum. Yeah, but that's just
1: saying eight centimeter in length. No one's saying about how thick or wide this thing yeah, is. Then again, who knows? I mean, we don't know his cellmate. This this could have been very easy for him.
0: This is a uh this is a level of dedication that has to be honored. However, the hilarity behind this story is just it's it's gold. I mean, you literally put your band on the face of the map for this brief instant. Yeah, exactly. Now I'm actually inclined to look up
1: Lost Profits. I got to see yeah, I got to see what to this guy looks like. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. All right. <laughs> That's funny. Did you uh Did you hear something? What the fuck was that noise?
2: Hey, what's up, guys?
0: Holy shit. It's
2: me, Connor.
0: <laughs> so, uh, well, I'm guessing you heard Neil Young earlier and just... uh,
2: Yeah, man, I can't miss a Neil Young conversation. You just know crazy. That. <laughs> how do you feel about old ways? It's all right. It's misunderstood. <laughs> but I do have to ask you, how was the church retreat? I can go to a church retreat. You went to a church retreat. I gave you that pamphlet. You said you were going to go. Wait, so where the hell have you been? I was in a sixsome. Could you elaborate on this? Uh, I don't kiss and tell. Fair enough. (laughs) Neither did Jeffrey Epstein.
1: (laughs) Well, (laughs) the thing is, we were talking on this day in history today that uh, Neil Young released Always, his 14th album, and it was his lowest selling and least appreciated
0: album of his career. Yeah, we kind of panned over this because we didn't have our Neil Young connoisseur on
2: here. Yeah, you guys were saying that it was his least selling album. He was pretty much just in a commercial dip. Um, Russ Never Sleeps in 79 was a huge hit. Multi-platinum, hugely famous, iconic album. Um, and then he went to his well-noted uh, experimental phase in the early 80s with um, Hawks and Doves, which he kind of alienated people because he was kind of like a flower child guy. And then he like was kind of conservative on that. And then after that, I think he did the electronic record. And then after that, he did the like... Oh, no, I'm sorry. First, he did Reactor. And then he did Hawks and Doves. And then... Anyway, there's these albums in here. Um, Between 1980 and 85, he had a series of albums, like four or five, that didn't sell. He When Old Ways came out in 85... It was selling consistently what his past five albums had. But would you say
1: it's, it was one of his least appreciated albums?
2: Yeah, yeah. Because um, the thing with the other experimental albums he did from the early '80s was they were all kind of more different than Old Ways was. Like Old Ways had problems because it was hyped as a country or an acoustic album, a return to form, and like, uh, the classic okay. like Harvest comes a time. Yeah, after the Gold Rush style, Neil Young. But it wasn't like that. It was more like a Willie Nelson type record. Hmm. And when it came out, like, I think Willie Nelson is actually featured on several songs. Oh, really? Yeah. And um, huh. whatchamacallit. Yeah, people didn't want country from him, really. And then um, he pretty much was, didn't sell well in the 80s. Like, his comeback album was the one with Rockin' in the Free World, which oh, was wow. like three or four years after this. Between yeah. Russ Never Sleeps and Rockin' in the Free World, he really wasn't that successful. Hmm. It's it's not a bad album. If you're a Neil Young fan, it's worth a listen. Okay. I'd say. So ironically enough to bring that up, right? I mean, you have an
0: artist. I mean, Neil Young's relevance was pretty, you know, because to say this was like a drop off. I don't think he was set so high to the point where this was almost like Metallica going from the Black Album to St. Anger. It wasn't like a severe dip like that for his sake.
2: Yeah. People thought he had lost his mind in the 80s. Like, yeah, he was on reprise records, which I think was owned by, I'm not sure, but it might. It was someone like Frank Sinatra or um, someone right. like that. Someone like Real Famous and had been around forever. And Reprise Records stopped in the 80s. It was revived in the 90s. Hmm. And so Neil Young had to go find a new label and he went with Geffen. Oh, uh, okay. Geffen thought he was scoring himself Neil Young for a good deal, but then Ge- but then Neil Young went into this experimental phase. Geffen actually sued Neil Young oh, for wow. not sounding enough like Neil Young and making uncharacteristic records.
1: Oh shit, ain't that something.
2: Yeah. So the question
0: that this uh kind of insinuates to bring up When do you think and uh, when I put this in a term, it's more of a medical metaphorical sense and saying, when do you think a band should kind of go into its, quote unquote, greatest hits era? You know, like, when do you think a band, you know, that's hailed and respected and they just keep releasing like studio album after studio album, studio album after studio to the point where it's just like, just stop, like leave your catalog the way it's been. Go out there and tour. Stop releasing new music and tainting that legacy that you're trying to leave behind. I mean, because we're going to get this out of the way with talking about Metallica. Yeah. After the Black album, they couldn't just stop there. They were kings of the fucking world. The album sales that they were doing, they couldn't stop. Load and Reload come out. Yeah. It disappointed people. So then they're trying to make that comeback. And obviously when we discussed some kind of monster, you saw the turmoil that was going on for them to make that album. And then they didn't stop there either because now they got a reprieve from St. Anger. Then they got a reprieve from Death Magnetic, yep. And they keep going and keep going. Mega does the same thing on their sixteenth studio album, Red Hot Chili Peppers, all these different bands. Mm-hmm. And I want to
2: hear Yeah, but Red Hot Chili Peppers long since have had several greatest hits albums. They did. They did. But, a, they but did that's a what I'm saying in a yeah, no, metaphorical like sense, 92. not just saying to
0: release greatest hits albums. But when should you stop and that become your repertoire? If that's all you're releasing, like stop with the studio albums, just being out there to tour. Because I mean, think about it. You go out there and tour now. Red Hot Chili Peppers are obviously going to play their newer songs due to the fact of Shante not being there. Yeah, but people want to hear Blood Sugar Sex Magic, oh, California. They still play all that. Yeah, but the newer songs my opinion, same thing with Megadeth, same thing with Metallica, even same thing with Alice in Chains, and then that's a different respect because of the fact that they're different carrying singer. on. You don't want to the...
2: hear any of the new singles by Alice in Chains when you go?
0: No. No. You? Honestly, dude, if I saw Alice in Chains well, and they played everything Lane's Staley era, I would be more appreciative of that than their newer stuff.
1: I can agree with that, but I really did like Dope Dinosaurs here, and... Black is Way to Blue. I'm not a giant fan of the new album,
0: but... Your decision was pretty good, too. That's from Black Is Way yeah, to Black Blue. Yeah, Black is
1: Way to Blue, dude, was a very, very good album.
0: Again, it's... And, and that's why I'm saying that's different because that's changing of a member to continue on releasing <laughs> Well, yeah, music it's, like it's like a new... It's a, a new, new entity. Cantrell's they're all still there, you know? Yeah,
1: I mean, and, and me and Connor have talked about this before. Like, Alice and Chains could be Alice and Chains with any lead singer, really. Because that main core group of three guys, Mike Inez or Mike Starr, uh, Sean Kinney and Jerry Cantrell, they are Alice and Chains. If you listen yep. to Jerry Cantrell's solo albums, that is the rhythm section from Alice and Chains. But it sounds like Alice changes Chains just without Lane Staley. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I, I feel like if Alice in Chains were to stop after self-titled, they would have been leaving out a lot of good stuff on the table. But, like, going back to Metallica, however, I feel like with Death Magnetic and with Hardwired to Self-Destruct, those albums, in my opinion, the reason why I don't like them is because they sound forced. And I feel like when you're writing songs... Forcefully writing songs to put out an album, I feel like that is the opportunity yeah. to stop. That's what I'm trying music. to get at. Yes. That's where Foo Fighters are at. Exactly. Now. We yeah. were just talking about that
0: before. Because f- even look at Foo Pearl Fighters Jam.
2: should have stopped after wasting light. Look at or even Pearl Jam. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Pearl Jam
0: stopped before it got horrible. Pearl that's Jam's still going.
2: Studio albums? Yeah, they put out. Yeah. They're working on a studio album right now. Are you serious? Yeah, they and they put out a terrible one like three years ago.
0: Un fucking real. Yeah. yeah. I was going to really defend.
2: Pearl Jam now. I digress. <laughs> um, Pearl Jam, they're like Foo Fighters in a way, though, where they. I feel like at this point, they're kind of just cranking out albums when they feel like it to just give, Do or, it. give them a reason to go on tour. You
1: yeah. Know? I mean, I agree with that. And um, like, even go back to Megadeth. I mean, don't get me wrong. I really like Dystopia. I thought it was a good album, I but this- it can't compare to Rust in Peace or even Countdown to Extinction. Of course. But... Like, I feel like probably one of the prime examples would be a band like Foo Fighters or Metallica, like Wasting Light, dude, was just such a good album from start to finish. And I mean, except for like White Limo, because I fucking hate that song. But (laughs) um, from start to finish, that album was great. And then what was the next one after that? It was was, Sonic uh, Sonic Highways. I can't even name one song that was on that album.
2: And, and the then one. something from nothing.
0: Something from nothing.
1: There we go. What was the other one? With concrete the, uh, and gold is a new
0: the video. one. Video. They had the video for the one song.
2: Feast in the famine. No, hold on one second. Was it from I, that, that song? Album? Was all right. Feast in the famine.
0: But it's
1: not. In my opinion, it wasn't anything close to as good as Wasting Light or even any of the previous songs released from Foo Fighters.
2: And I mean, then again, all I, the... thought, it, I thought that song was probably the only one that was on the level of the Wasting yeah. Light material. Yeah, outside.
1: Outside? I don't even remember that, that one? Yeah, I don't remember that song. Excellent either. baseline. Hmm. But I mean, at the end of the day, all this shit is just They rely
2: know. on gimmicks now. Yeah. Sonic Highways had the TV show, Concrete and Gold mm-hmm. had the fucking Imagine Dragons, producer. Adele producer, yeah. They 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 have to find some way to like get people like thinking like, "Oh, like they did something different" cuz they know the music isn't going to be any fucking different.
1: Yeah, and I mean, at the end of the day, all this shit is just opinion-based anyway. Yeah. And I mean, Really, at the end of the day, who are we to be able to say what Foo Fighters or Dave Grohl should or shouldn't do? Of course, because, again,
0: we we talked about this. As a fan. Yeah.
1: You know? As a fan, I feel like, why are you putting out this shit just to put it out?
0: Yeah, put it this way. Just to slap your name on it. Yeah, like, I don't go out there... You know, in the sense of uh, going back to Megadeth, I don't ever go out there and say, you know what, I feel like listening to United Abominations right now. Exactly. I'll go listen to Peace Cells. And then even so, when we talk about Alice in Chains, Alice in Chains was from a different standpoint where you lost a member and you try to continue on. And we talked about this in a different podcast, so I don't want it to become that. But again, I don't think they should have stopped And I don't even think they should have changed the name, but I don't think they should have kept on going with the level of continuing to release several albums to the fact that they'll have two separate discographies of the Lane and then the new era. Yeah, but I mean, Maybe
1: there, there was still, still a lot of time in between those three albums. Like, Black Is Way to Blue came out in, like, 2011, and Devil But Dinosaurs here came yeah. out in, like, what, 15?
2: I'm pretty sure Black Is Way to Blue was even earlier than that. Maybe like yeah, like, the, there was easily, 10.
1: like, five to seven years in between, uh, in between those albums. But that's what
0: I'm saying. Like, right now, and you're even seeing the same thing with Stone Temple Pilots. That new album that they released is fucking garbage in yeah. my opinion and then that's listening the
2: to it oh yeah it was really really bad oh yeah yeah oh they, yeah
0: they should have went into their greatest hits era
1: before chester bennington
0: well, they should have did like saying.
1: a greatest hits tour with chester bennington you got the
0: opportunity where you're still dealing with musicians they lost their lead singer but they want to produce music and the fact that they're still under the stone temple pilot's name exactly. it's able to get the recognition immediately because like, don't get what? me
1: wrong that song wasn't bad with chester though it that wasn't of time song it you wasn't. remember that
0: And then that's why I listened to the new album, but dude, it's just not, not good. And then it brings up another artist, The Doors. 1971, they released Other Voices without Jim Morrison. Yeah. And then they didn't even stop there. They released another album. But who's actually downloading a discography and wants to listen to anything after LA Woman?
2: Really? Even like Eminem. Imagine how much more respected Eminem would be if he would have stopped after Eminem show. Well, uh, he yeah, had, but that's, that's the true. thing. It's the same thing with the Black Album. Eminem show sold so
0: well that he wasn't gonna, yeah. after encore and way that happened. But then you're trying to like fix yourself, fix yourself, fix, and you become yeah. it becomes a mess. Yeah, and Absolutely. you know, I
1: feel like another band that's almost like that is Slayer too.
2: So Slayer never had any hits though, so they. Can, that's the know, thing, and that I put like Slayer on dog, the same yeah, page. exactly. I
0: put Slayer on the same page as Motorhead, releasing a level of consistency of just yeah. similar tracks, and they're more so for the fact that when they play them live. That's After how Jeff, I think
2: about Ramones and ACDC. They pr- came in at perfect. the beginning yep, of their perfect. genre. They never really rocked the boat yeah. with trying to experiment. They just but they just right kept doing do work
0: songs that they can play live yeah. and they can perform. But the thing about Slayer is, I definitely think they should. Because they're trying to do the same thing as what I'm mentioning. You have Jeff Hanneman dying, and then you bring in this new guitarist. you got to release an album with them out of the respect, because you want to hear what New Slayer is going to sound like, as opposed to this fill-in artist. And
1: don't get me wrong, Gary Holt's a great guitar player. He's a very good good fill-in for Jeff Hanneman, but
0: it's... Same thing even after Dave Lombardo left. They still release music, but again, um, I think... I'm glad what Slayer did because they're doing what I wanted kind of in a sense they were released Repentless mm-hmm. they went out there and toured and then they're pretty much donening it I'm sure Greatest Hits albums are now soon to follow oh yeah absolutely and then that's the thing they just touring 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 and final tour final tour, final tour after final tour but they're, I don't see them releasing any more albums after Repentless they and I,
1: I think to it. clarify this for the listeners we don't mean Greatest Hits era like you know like a compilation of a CD of their best songs or anyone's songs throughout the span of their career we mean greatest hits era like playing the songs that people want to hear exactly and that's it going out like you know like Alice and Chains comes out every august i know we bring this up a lot but you know having a like a band where like journey for instance you go see journey you're going to see the same set every time and there's not going to be any bullshit you know exactly what to expect and you're not going to be let down anytime they come that's what we're getting at by Greatest Hits.
2: See, I saw Smashy Pumpkins Live this week, though, and they had a good mix. Yeah. Like, they played maybe, like, seven or eight really well-known songs. Yeah. Like, they played Today. They played Bullet, Bullet with Butterfly Wings. They played Zero. They played Ava Adore. They played Tonight Tonight. They 1979. played 1979. They played Disarm. They played share a brock mm-hmm. oh, they cool. covered a james taylor song fire and rain oh that's pretty neat um and there might have been one more hit in there that i can't remember but um so that's like nine or ten hits and they played like 15 or 16 songs like yeah they're so allowed that's... to play some of their new shit like yeah, they just exactly. got back together with their like original lineup except the bases for the first time since 2001 oh so. wow
0: And on that level, it's the same thing. Like when I saw Judas Priest, that's another artist. Mm -hmm. You know, Rob leaves, Halfer comes in, you know, does his own thing, and then you get Owens to come in and replace him for a few albums. Halfer comes back. Um, Recently, last year, they released the album Firepower. Now, this is the thing. Here, there's another band that's continually on trying to, like, keep this same level of repetitiveness, but Mm -hmm. they're releasing new music, and then they go out and tour But the benefit was... I saw Priest last September, last year. They played 16 songs. Only four of them were off the new album. And that's oh, the well, thing. That's like cool. They're trying to introduce it, but then they played songs like Sinner, Turbo Lover. They played Free Will Burnt. You've Got Another Can Come In, Painkiller. Oh, okay. I was say so they played play Painkiller? Oh, yeah.
2: So they played. Every time I'm in a record store, I look for Painkiller, and I never see it. And that, that, yeah, that's quintessential '90s metal right there. Yeah, Painkiller Painkillers is all literally over. never seen it on a cassette vinyl. It's CD, so crazy because if
0: you listen to like Stained Glass and um, you know Rockerola, like their '60s album, like Painkiller is literally. Standalone value, yeah, it's like
2: seventy steps beyond. One of the best metal <laughs> yeah. albums
0: of all time. But you listen to Judas Priest's catalog, you can just hear such a fucking difference in pain
2: Oh killer. my god, dude! Like yeah, if you put out, you, know, you got know, another thing coming in painkiller. Like metal man- or, or like even put
1: like Turbo Lover against it because there's yeah. not that much di- like time difference between yeah. those two albums. You put Turbo Lover against fucking between the hammer colored. and the
0: anvil. Yeah, like dude.
1: Oh my god, destroys yeah. it.
0: And, uh, and that's yeah, the dude. thing,
1: though. I feel like when a band does go into like that greatest hits era and just phoning it in, yep. there's some instances where there is like a couple good albums still left on the table. But there's also bands like Foo Fighters, for instance, where Wasting Light, in my opinion, might be one of their best. I mean, next to Color and Shape, yeah. But they're not going to outdo Wasting Light, especially not now. And it's just like instead yep. of you know instead of Dave Grohl, like, force-feeding this shit down people's throats, why don't you just go out and do a stadium tour playing all the best songs you have? Because you have a giant catalog. I mean, what was the Wembley... Remember when they played Wembley, their concert was, like, three hours long?
2: Yeah, dude, like, per, per, that's how Pearl Jam is. Pearl Jam plays three hours, like, every fucking night, and yeah. they're, they just... Like, when you have the
1: ability to, and you can make a substantial living off of it.
2: They play deep cuts that yeah. people like. They play a bunch of their singles, you know? Like.
1: And, you know, it's not like we're saying we don't like these bands, and we don't like hearing new music from our favorite bands. But sometimes it's a little lackluster.
0: Yeah, well, and it's also, too, to put it blunt with these older artists, I still give them the benefit of the doubt every time. I listen to Hardwire. I listen yeah. to Dystopia. I've listened to every Alice in Chains album because I'm waiting to hear something. And obviously, if it's not there, if they release another one, I'm I'm that ignorant list. I'm still going to listen
1: yeah I mean uh, even uh, maybe everyone was waiting for me to say this one in 2012 Van Halen put out a different kind of truth with David Lee Roth and I'm
0: sure you listen to it front to back I listened to it front to back of course
1: I hated every song on that album yeah actually there was one song that I truly enjoyed
2: she's or something
1: No, that well she's the woman yeah, was pretty good tattoo was the single tattoo, and, like, yeah, okay. tattoo was okay yeah. but <laughs> there was a song that wasn't a single yeah. and it was uh, blood and fire right mm-hmm. I really liked the song and I'm I was looking on line searching and searching turns out eddie van halen wrote that song and it's an outtake from the 1984 album that he recycled to be on this album i was wondering like why i like this song so much it's because it's 80s van halen just Mm -hmm. in today's time but that van halen's another example of one of those bands that just goes out and play
2: well your catalog yeah they're not going to do another album
0: no they shouldn't i hope they don't that's similar that we haven't brought up Soundgarden. Soundgarden, what they released down on the upside ninety six. You figure their next a- uh, album, King Animal, didn't come out till two thousand twelve. Yeah. Okay. So they weren't out and there just releasing album after. Al- yeah. yeah. I like King, King Animal, Animal was great. And yeah. here is the thing: Cornell doesn't die until two thousand seventeen. But they mm-hmm. weren't out there like. Releasing album after album after album. I mean, essentially, they have, what, six albums in their studio discography? And they do have a Greatest Hits album, but that was a compilation of their earlier work. But they were still Mm -hmm. out there making new music, but they weren't forcibly putting out albums just to put them out. Yeah, And then that's why I bring up when we talked earlier about Tool. I got an argument with somebody because they were like, you know, I'm trying to debate on the aspect of music quality and songs. They're like, well, Tool's discography is so short, there's not really much to compare it to. So they have to put out good music. I get that. But here's the thing about it when Tool put all their songs and albums on streaming networks, it's so easy to listen to because it is a short discography. And I don't skip, like, for instance, Megadeth, I'll listen to four albums and there's like 12 more on there. I'm not listening to them. Every Tool album I'll listen to. And the fact now that it's 13 years, this album's coming out. Watch how much it's going to sell. Yeah. Watch. Exactly.
2: Yeah, it's going to sell. That's for sure.
0: And I don't see Tool being that band to release another six albums. So it's more fruitful to say, like, I'm waiting for this. I want to hear yeah, the same quality of quantity. probably going to hit number one yeah.
2: unless there's something else crazy coming yeah. out the week it mm-hmm. comes out. I, like I think people, honestly, shit.
0: any artist, yeah, I would exactly, be scared yeah. to put out an album around that time because I think Tool, regardless of who you are, will blow that out of the water.
2: Beyonce? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Tool
0: fans, dude, I'm telling you right now, just based on weight Alone, the memes that have circulated, the idea of it, the talk about it. What Tool has
2: going for them is they're going to sell a lot of physical... Units yeah, exactly. compared to Beyonce. Well, it's also like and a lot that. Should equates yeah, in the more the
0: pre-sale rate for I mean, the uh, so.
2: the units that they count yeah. for yeah. charting. But
0: also too, I don't think Tool would even be the type of marketing value that if they knew Beyonce was going to do something like that. They still wouldn't go about it. But I'm saying there's a level of artists where they're probably would be like, nope, Tool's releasing that. Ten thousand
2: yeah. days beat. Um, the, the Avocado album by Pearl Jam. To oh, really? The yeah. Spot, yeah. The <laughs> 10,000 Days debuted at number one, and that Pearl Jam album debuted at number two. That's, well, that's, that's understandable. Because you think of,
0: like I mentioned with Soundgarden, Down on the Upside, King Animal, 96-2012. Look at that fucking gap. Oh, that shit didn't hit number one, though. But still, um it, look at that gap. That just goes to show you you're not an artist going out there just to put out repetitive albums because you're probably not satisfied with it. Yeah. I mean, I know for a fact when we bring up, and I have to bring it up because it's just very comparable with Metallica. When you're watching them record Saint Anger, there's no way that they, when they put that album out there, they were satisfied.
2: No, there's no, no way they just way, were. Dude. They were just satisfied with the idea of not having to record anything else for this album. Exactly, exactly. We're done with. Like, we like, like, it we'll put it out. there. Mm-hmm. It was almost like, ah, never mind. We'll save that for next week. <laughs> Fire. <Fodder>. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. Well, I guess that kind of wraps that. So, all right. Up. So,
0: real quick, let's do this. Global Ground consensus: You pick one artist that you hope continues to make new music that's older, and okay. one artist that you are glad stopped or should stop.
1: Okay. Um. Well, one out one band I believe should stop making new albums is Metallica because just it just makes it too easy to make yeah. a joke on okay. this podcast. Absolutely. And. A band that I hope that continues to make new albums will probably be Alice and Chains, honestly, uh-huh. because I I feel like there's still a lot of gas left in that tank. And William Duvall just really, uh, announced that he's doing a solo album and too. Jerry Cantrell
0: is still a phenomenal musician. Exactly, so yeah, I do respect. Like that. there's
1: still magic left in that band to where there's at least another good two or three albums left in them.
2: Yeah, Alice yeah. and Chains.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you know that those are my two. Metallica should go into their greatest hits phase. Stop releasing new shit because you're guilt tripping people into thinking that it's good <laughs> yeah. and Alice and Chains continue to keep going, which is kind of ironic if you think about it, because they um Metallica had surpassed Alice and Chains in their in
2: the nineties for a little bit and they yeah. had them as their opening band. And now it's like... And not for nothing, but Allison James has had a way harder go about it than fucking Metallica. Absolutely. Oh, of course. You know absolutely, I mean? Like, they've endured a lot more struggle yeah. than their own unit. What was the worst thing they ever had to deal with? Dave Mustaine? Come on, get fucking real. Oh, yeah. The worst thing they ever dealt with was Cliff Burton dying. Yeah. But, I mean... But, but they still not succeeded for nothing, afterwards. But Cliff yeah. Burton was great but he was the least integral member of Metallica at that time at that time rivals yes. with the uh, Lars yeah they maybe could have replaced Lars and Cliff about the same easiness I agree yeah.
0: I think Cliff just brought that level of personality to But to, and stage to lose presence. James or, Cl- yeah.
2: or um Kirk. Kirk they would have been done Well see I maybe feel like Maybe not Kirk I guess Yeah I
1: feel yeah. like I feel like in order to have Metallica you need to have James 100% you need to have James
2: Anyone could really play Lars's parts. Metallica fans would be pissed, though, if he yeah. left. I mean, really, to at have... this like, point, they might not have carried so much in the 80s.
1: Yeah. I mean, to have a functioning Metallica, you, you would at least need to have James and, and Lars. Kirk, I feel like you could replace him with any r- guitar player, really, because... If you look at any of the live videos of Dave Mustaine playing with them, like from back in the eighties, and you listen to the Kirk shit, it's like interchangeable. It's the exact same thing. Yeah. And then Cliff Burton, obviously they show that they're able to, you know, go past what they were doing before with him without him. Yeah. So yeah, Metallica should go into their greatest hits and Alice and Chain should continue. What do you think, Connor?
2: Um I was I was debating on taking this taking a safe Foo Fighters should stop, or I was debating on going with a hard Radiohead should stop. Oh, because on the I'm kind of feeling Radiohead, but on the one hand, do you really want to count Radiohead out? You know what I mean. Um, but because I even thought I'm not like a a, I don't dog on King of Limbs and um, Moonshaped Pool, but they're they're not making okay computer kid a yeah. level of shit anymore and it's still really good but if it if it trails in quality at all like i feel like they're like pink floyd in the 90s at this point like they're like radiohead is literally like pink floyd in like 1989 right now <laughs> would you agree with that steve yeah, yeah. absolutely and um
1: so w- which band are you choosing the greatest hits foo fighters or radiohead
2: it's tough because mm-hmm. I'm kind of feeling Radiohead as like a good rage against the mainstream like opinion. Yeah. But Foo Fighters is like, obviously they should stop. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, if they, if they care about legacy shit, I don't know. Um, Dave will just move on I guess to the I'll next take, thing. I guess I'll take Radiohead. Fuck it. Radio Radiohead should, should, uh, if Radiohead wants to stop, I won't, uh, you won't be mad. I won't be mad. But I'm, right. not gonna, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say they should stop. But, um, and then a band that I would like to see keep making music is Don Stewart Jr. I, I think they keep making good stuff. And yeah. It's, it's worth it for the listener. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: What do you think, Steve? So, like Connor, I'm disputing between two artists. The first one is Eminem. I think okay. Eminem should stop. Yep. Um, right. But here's the thing with Eminem. I stop caring so long ago. I still respect him. He's like again with that type of artist that's done such quality work that he couldn't taint his career regardless. But okay, just for his self-respect, I think he should stop. But here's the one I'm going to settle on. Stone Temple Pilots. You made the album. You made the album. You got it out there with a new singer. There's something to listen to with his work. You're giving him that respect, but do not disrespect the level of work that's out there with Scott The legacy
1: of Stone Violets.
0: Scott Weiland, if you watch live videos, that band is so underrated in that scene, but they're just such a quality act that you want to go out there and tour. You got some new work with this guy that fits him more, so he can't really pull off Scott's tempo and quality, but leave it alone. You did the album. Leave it alone. The one artist, and this is a shot in the fucking dark, because they haven't released anything with this lineup in three decades. But the Misfits, Misfits. Uh. they're right now touring with Dave, like with um, who the fuck is Dave is Lombardo? It, Dave is Dave it Lombardo?
2: touring a bit of a stretch for a term? Yeah. Scattered appearances, playing, they maybe. Got,
0: no, they got a couple more shows, but they're playing Madison Square Garden for the Halloween set-up. Yeah, but does so I want to, really.
2: How much they, that are, the, are the tickets out looked, yet? They're not out yet. I think oh, they right. did a regular sale drop. We already, we already asked drop. Glenn earlier to but give us tickets. But here's the thing. You have these <laughs> guys. When, when you find out, let me know. Okay. So you have these
0: guys. They're all touring together. You have a great drummer backing you as well. That yeah. has to. Like, he will live up to like the expectation of what you had in the past. It's the misfits. You don't need to go out and be like Tool taking decades or so to write music. You can write these songs and come up with some new work. I would even deal with a five-song, 12-minute EP. I just want to hear new work with this artist, like yeah. with these guys. Just want, just It would something. definitely be cool. Same thing with Guns and Roses with their original lineup. Oh my just god! Maybe a couple songs. I don't care how shitty they may wind up. It's just it's it'd be a cool fucking nostalgic purpose. Yeah, especially the Misfits. Could you imagine Astro Zombies or even just Walk Among Us or even Static Age recorded today? Oh, that'd be awesome! Holy fuck! That'd be awesome. But I'm saying in their prime, but just with the level of production that they could accomplish today and what they could you know do. Yeah. With Danzig on vocals, that'd be awesome. You take Static Age, merge it with Danzig too.
1: Oh, dude! <laughs> like so, yeah. I said, I love Danzig too. That that's my it's favorite such
2: Danzig a good album. album, dude. Which one? Lucifuge? Lucifer. Yeah. Huge. yeah, it's fucking good. All right, I only have the first one. Gotta get first three or. I saw one at a record store. A recent, a Demon Thrall or something. Don't know. It's yeah, probably it was like one of the a ones. Later I, I, ones. About,
1: yeah, like, I know yeah. one of the newer ones is like absolute trash. Yeah,
0: he's ambient stuff. He kind of went like Varg's virgens and like Burzum and just started making weird like. <laughs> the, Dungeon music, I call it. All right, so that's a cool consensus. I, I, I Agreeable with all that. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: All right, last week, we recommended for you guys to painstakingly watch Rolling <laughs> Thunder review a Bob Dylan
0: story by Martin Scorsese.
2: Luckily, due to my sixth, I didn't think I would be attending this podcast. and So we we'll count you out on this it. review.
0: We'll allow you to just kind of form your opinion. based on. It. <laughs> now, here's the thing, and you mentioned this as well. Prior to doing this, it's going to go like this. You're going to love it or you're going to hate it. And it's yes. all going to be depending on your view of how you enjoy Bob Dylan. Yeah.
1: Um, pretty much, uh, the rolling thunder review was a tour in 1975, which was Bob Dylan's attempt to get closer to his audiences by playing smaller venues and coffee shops. Yes. And within this tour, he was having artists that would come out that were lesser known and, you know, basically giving people a chance. And, um, this movie chronicles that, and there's a lot of found footage, and there's a lot of footage that was doctored by Scorsese, and it's and, well um, done. I, yeah, uh, it's well a, done.
0: Scorsese definitely structured it very well. It looked very well. It was done very well. It's just,
1: but at a runtime of two and a half it's, hours, it's, it gets dry. It, if you are not a fan of Bob Dylan, you will not enjoy you this movie. Check out. Yeah, um, I I was kind of checked out within forty five minutes. Yeah. but I continue to watch it because of. You know, yeah, I like can't expect you guys to watch it and me not.
0: Yeah, put it this way, my opinion will probably be higher because I am a huge Dylan fan. I love Blonde on Blonde, I love uh Highway 61, I mean all of them.
2: Real quick, do you like his first album? Uh the th- self-titled. Is it like one where House he's like of really the Rising on the yeah, front, yeah, walking yeah.
0: down the street
2: the, with like House of the Rising Sun and yeah. stuff. I just bought it. I got to say, I wasn't like crazy about it. It's I was not, kind of that's disappointed. What I'm saying. I
0: enjoy it, but i th- that's another one of those albums. I, I probably won't ever put it on before. Yeah. Someone, West My Harding buddy told or, me it was
2: like really good, Jeff. And like I had to listen to it. Put it this I, way: I saw it Yo. like next time I was at a store and I was like, fuck it. I'll Between buy it. I listened Highway, to it. I was Connor, like, this is you not a really shit. You really
1: need to buy the, uh, the first uh, <laughs> Bob Dylan album.
0: Put it this way. <laughs> Between uh, Highway, Blonde on Blonde, Blood on the Tracks, uh, John Wesley Harding... um, bringing it all back home i mean there's enough work by bob dylan where you don't need to struggle to try to fit everything else in there's enough like between highway and blonde on blonde those are two albums front to back that in my opinion are very listenable oh uh, yeah
2: highway and blonde on blonde are really good That's what i'm saying like, so i
0: mean if you're an avid Dylan fan yeah those albums will probably weigh heavily but i think more so it comes like oh it's art you know it's just yeah,
2: the guitar sound on "Like a Rolling Stone" is still probably my favorite clean guitar tone dude, of Desolation all time. Desolation Row. Oh
1: yeah, that that is good tone. It's Desolation Row, same.
2: dude. Yeah, that's a great song. And Highway, obviously. Oh yeah. Did you ever hear, hear PJ Harvey's cover of that? No. Check that that's out. good. Yeah, yeah. All right.
1: All right, but um, getting into the reviews now. Okay. From one to ten, what would you rate this movie, Steve? Six. Since, since you're a Dylan fan, six. six
2: I give it a solid question mark. <laughs> You're too busy with a six. Very credible response. So I say uh, six <laughs> just for
0: the high regard. Like I said, anything over a five for me means it's a worth a watch, but it all depends on, again, your Viewer level. Viewer discretion. Yeah, it depends on your level of interest with the artist. Like, I'm not going to go watch a documentary on the singer from Nickelback. Put it that way. Yeah, exactly. And I don't care if Quentin Tarantino directed it. You know, <laughs> I don't give a fuck. It's uh, just ne-
2: that would actually be interesting as hell, probably. I'm not going to watch it. it. Yeah, I would watch that. I'm going to say I would have to. If if fucking Quentin, that's some alternate Listen, reality it follows, dimension shit. It follows just <laughs> the singer.
0: It follows just the singer on a tour, though. Listen. If it was some abstract story, if it was written by Quentin Tarantino. So
2: where I work, they get cheap as fuck at night. They'll turn off AC in like little areas. Okay. Um you have to pay to play radio in public spaces, right? You have to pay like BMG or whatever the company is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um,
0: or you can play clips of the music at like eleven o'clock.
2: It's hilarious because if it's like not busy, like in the summer, you know everyone's down the shore. They like they'll put on like B radio. Like you'll start <laughs> hearing these songs where you think you're like in some other dimension. Like there's this one that always plays. It sounds like just like the Friends theme song but it's not the Friends theme song. It's a completely different <laughs> song. Like It's got like such a similar melody. Are you talking like,
0: about the Green Day song?
2: No, I don't know who the hell sings it. There's a couple but I'm songs saying it sounds like that, but like I always that, hear it. But it drives me that. crazy because I'm so like, funny. what is this song?
0: Because Isn't that good riddance that plays in Friends?
2: no, no uh, that's totally different i'll be there
0: for you where the fuck does good riddance play that's in the beginning of a show isn't it Nah, brother that's Not in the friends. beginning of
2: like every high school like movie photo nah. montage
0: <laughs> whatever but
1: <laughs> that's funny Size all the these six. b-rated artists if uh you know like i said before if you guys want to get some spotlight email us feel yeah. free to, <laughs> to uh yeah <laughs> um my review out of a one to 10 would have to be a five. My reason being is I'm not a Bob Dylan fan, but if this were a movie about someone that I truly cared about, like if this were, you know, insert Alice in Chains or Van Halen or anyone for that matter, Mm -hmm. I would probably rate it higher, but just because of the source material and what it is about, I'm not, I am not. wasn't a giant fan.
0: Yeah, it's a very well-done documentary, but again, it's just going to be your level of interest for the individual, I think. And, uh, so we're at an average there of 55%, 5.5. And we're actually way lower than way, everyone
1: else. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 93%. Metacritic gave it 86%. This movie was a little highbrow. we a, a point with to Roger mainstream. Ebert, though,
0: because yeah. he's at 50% of that, 2 out of 4.
1: Yeah, and um, let's see. The reviews here, we have... Uh, Rafael Guzman from Newsday. Rafael I wonder Newsday. if he's
2: related to Lewis Guzman of Pluto Nash fame. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the concert footage alone will ma- would make Rolling Thunder review worth seeing, but there are other gems. Questionable. Very much so. Um, Chris Nash- Nashawadi from Entertainment Weekly. The Rolling Thunder review was Dylan's personal magical mystery tour in 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 Scorsese's hands. There's no shortage of magic or mystery. I was very, I was mystified. I was mystified on how I sat there for two and a half fucking hours. It was like magic. Yeah. Um. Richard Brody from the New Yorker says it's not a doomed mission, but it's a delicate and difficult one and the project collapses under the weight of his contradictory goals and its scattershot strategies to meet them. That's probably the most relevant review I've read so far. See,
2: yeah. I think with Bob Dylan and Martin Scorsese being like all over this, I feel like all the like regular reviewers are gonna just give it a good review, like yeah. regardless. This is actually the second movie that Scorsese
1: did with uh, Bob Dylan. Yeah, you yeah. think yeah.
2: Entertainment Weekly has the balls to give Martin Scorsese a bad review? <laughs> Absolutely coupled not. with Bob Dylan. <laughs> Good point. Here at Rage Against the Mainstream, we don't give a shit 55% for you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's funny.
0: <laughs> yeah, Martin, if you want to discuss this, man, and give you uh, some insight on why we feel this way, feel free to contact us as well. We'd Shout be willing to, to field more. your discourse. I'm still going to go see The Irishman, though. I will put that out there. <laughs> Fuck it.
2: Y'all all right. ready for the uh, personal suggestions?
0: Well, our... Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's do personal
1: suggestions. I was going to do the group suggestions. Yeah, we'll do first. personal first. All right, personal. Go ahead, no, Connor's so oh, ready Connor's
2: to do it. ready to do it. All right. got Connor. <laughs> I got um, Pearl Jam's seventh album from 2002, uh, Riot Act. Nice. Um, this is actually a really good underrated album. Um, it's it's definitely got some filler. It's like later era, Pearl, later day Pearl Jam for sure. Now that you
0: mention new albums, the new album you were talking about, it's like got like a lightning bolt on it with like red eyes. Yeah, it's called something. Lightning Bolt. Okay, yeah. that's yeah, all right. Now I album. remember them. <laughs> context it now it may, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, it's got that song. Mind your manners. How's that go? Like just like I just did. Oh, if you okay. want to hear it again, you can listen Play to it, it on back. the podcast right, later. Right. You'll have it forever. I'll check. That. Um. But yeah, Ride Act was good. It had I in mind, save you can't keep. I look at it. I look at it as like a, uh, almost like a vitology too. All right, what's your highlight track off the album? One track. The good. I'll, I'll do two. Um, sorry, bud. I'm doing two. I, do make one, my, I make my own. fucking for production rules here, purposes. <laughs> you gotta do production um, purposes. This is, this is, um, so. Put your favorite one first. Yeah. I'm gonna do my favorite light song and my favorite fast song. My favorite lighter song is I Am Mine, and my favorite faster song is... Actually, you know what? No, I will do one for you. All right. Thank you. Can't Keep, the first song. Can't Keep. Fair Not enough. a single. Very good. Gotcha. Bill, what do you got?
1: Okay. um, This week, or last week, actually, Friends of the Podcast, Bad Wolves, released a new song off their upcoming second album. The song is called I'll Be There. Mm-hmm. And if you're a fan of the first album and you're wondering how the second one's going to be, this is proof that the second album's going to be just as good as Disobey, their album from last year. Um, I heard it immediately, put it on my Spotify, and it's in heavy rotation with all the other stuff. And uh, yeah, because it's a shout out there to Bad Wolves.
0: Go that check world. it out. Yeah. All right. What do you got, Steve? So, in the wake of obviously my discussion early on in this podcast with Tool coming out with the new song as well as the new album, everyone wants to bitch about, you know, no, oh, it's not heavy tool. Well, first so of all, if this is your first introduction, my recommendation is the uh, EP actually, Tool released in 1992. The EP is titled Opiate. Um, the song I'm actually going to recommend is the only recording on an album. It's actually a live recording, and it's one of the best live recordings I've actually heard on an album. The song's called Cold and Ugly. It was actually recorded New Year's Eve between 91 and 92 at the Jell-O Loft. Uh, there's a band called Green Jell-O. They're kind of like a comedy, progressive rock band. Uh, members from Tool were involved in it. But yeah, they released and played it at the uh, Jell-O Loft between 91 and 92. The song is called Cold and Ugly. And in an honor of Tool, yeah, the EP 92 is called Opiate. That's awesome. It's actually a reference to Karl Marx where he said, religion opiate, for, is the opiate masses.
2: for the Masses. Yes. <laughs> Comrade fucking Tool. <laughs> Comrade Maynard. He's boys with Yeah, they got a lot of good references. I mean, like he's the song boys Anima, with Tom Morello and Rage yeah. Against the Machine. I'm sure yeah. he's. Yeah, like the song Anima. I'm sure, it's pretty lefty.
0: Bill Hicks uh, hmm. comedy uh, bit. About Enema, the uh, the song Enema. That's what it's about. Bill Hicks. Bill, Bill huh. Hicks had a comedy bit where he was talking about California separating from the entire nation because it's full of a bunch of yuppies and pieces of shit, <laughs> and they should all just drown. Yeah, I would so agree with that. So the song Enema is literally about Bill Hicks's bit on that. That's funny. Yeah,
2: might have to give Tool another chance. Yeah, Tool's
0: got some good insight. I'll put it that way.
2: <laughs> I appreciate. it I do fuck with Passenger by Deftones with Maynard. Yeah, there you go. Yeah.
0: Also, Henry Rollins, shout out to him. He's featured on the song Bottom off of Undertow. All
1: right. Our group suggestion this week is the documentary on Netflix titled Fire, F-Y-R-E, The Greatest Party That Never Happened. Now, there's so much to talk about with this movie that we're not going to get involved with it at this particular moment. But if you want to hear a crazy story um, sort of reminiscent to Woodstock 50 if you will
0: put it this way it really reminded it me of the recent it really reminded me of the Woodstock stuff yes. from this year when it was discussed earlier put it this way had Woodstock happened watching this movie is pretty much what Woodstock 50 would have looked like exactly in that parallel
1: like I said uh, the movies called fire the greatest party that never happened available on Netflix Um, go check it out absolutely all right, guys, this about wraps it up for this week. And uh, same as I said before, I want to um, you know, thank all of you guys for listening, all of our international listeners, Canada, uh, Ireland, France, United Kingdom, Germany, Mexico, Morocco, uh, Greece. All of you guys, thank you for listening. We do this for you guys. As long as you keep listening, we'll keep doing it.
2: And for our strangely weird base in Michigan, we see y'all. <laughs> Fuck the Patriots! Yeah, fuck the Patriots! Area. If y'all in Boston and y'all like the Patriots and you're listening, you can sign the hell yeah, off. Football honestly. season's coming up, so we're making our <laughs> stance. I have no
0: qualms with Michigan because Detroit ain't doing shit. In Cowboys there too. Years. Fuck y'all. We years.
2: see y'all too. Yeah, but
1: um, I want to go again and say, you know, if you have a band or something, you want to, you want us to review you. You want to get yourself out there in the spotlight to the listeners we have. Email us. Write us. Um, you can. Our email is r a t r a t m podcast at gmail dot com. Get us at facebook dot com, twitter dot com, instagram dot com
0: slash r a t m podcast. Um, we'll be awaiting submissions. And put it this way: if you are not signed and you're not dealing with any copyright infringement, we can literally stream your music to the listeners to give you a potential outreach throughout the country. Yeah, countries. I mean. We'll plug you. We'll play your music. Absolutely.
1: Um, Well, that wraps it up for this week. This is Rage Against the Mainstream signing off. I'm Bill. I'm Connor. I'm Steve. We're Rage Against the Mainstream. Have a good night.
2: The cookie crumbled.